0: Okay, we had done a part one last week, and we were talking about the fact that the one thing you have to learn to do is manage your feelings, because your feelings can get you in a lot of trouble. If you're really prone to using your feelings on every single decision you make, you'll be like what Brother Jacob calls a yo-yo. So Brother Jacob is my dad's best friend, the overseer of our church. And he's had a strong role in our life. So anyway, we were quoting you last week about the yo-yo. And so we're trying to work everybody out of being a yo-yo. We will not be a yo-yo. And We ended with King David because he was able to maintain peace in all the situations. And so we started naming situations in his life where, you know, he got his worship on and he had peace when, no one, when everyone else had fear. And so the anointing on David as a shepherd boy in his teenage years that he could worship God was so much of an anointing on his life with the harp that demons would leave Saul, or at least demons would behave. You know, that he could worship, and when he worshipped, it brought peace on the people around him. And so that's what you're called to be in life. You're not looking for a place that has peace in it. You're bringing peace into situations. He had a powerful gift of worship, and he would play the harp for Saul, and then he had courage. You know, you think about it when a lion and a bear went after the sheep. You know, the first time he did it, he didn't know what was going to happen, except that he knew that God had him overseeing those sheep, so God would take care of him. And if you can imagine that he, as a boy, would run in and have courage when a lion attacked those sheep. You know, most people would run the other direction than the line like they would be the first to leave or they'd run opposite than the bear but David had that courage and so the first time that he killed one he did it with knowing who he was in the Lord and then he killed a giant that everyone else cowered from and that's what happens when something is right inside of you like you've already spent that time with the Lord and you have that peace in you So that when the storm is outside or when something's going on crazy, you're the one that has the sound mind to you. So then you think of other times in his life when Saul tried to kill him. And he tried to kill him by making him go out and kill Philistines. And David had so much victory inside of him that he did double what Saul asked for him. Double what was required. So peace calls you to be somebody that can do double what's expected of you. Like, you can bring a lot of strength to the table. Even when someone's trying to trap you and kill you, King David had that kind of peaceful environment inside of himself that he took it as a challenge, and he goes, Oh, I can do this, and I can even do double the number that Saul's asking. That would be an interesting guy to have where you planned a way to kill him in 1 Samuel 18, but he came up with a way to actually do twice as much as being asked of him. So he had good friendships, he had favor with God, you love the way David loved. I mean, he had that kind of a heart where he had a lot of peace inside, so he had a lot to give. And then, of course, the way that David worshipped set a standard that we're still using even to this day. So in David's life, he was able to keep peace on the inside. So that's what becomes a problem for us is when peace is removed off the earth. If you don't have peace inside of you, it's a problem. Because if you don't have peace inside of you and peace is taken off the earth, you become completely shaken and rattled. And nobody knows what you're going to do, including you. You're jumping all over the place. So let's fast forward and let's look at you in worship because we've looked at David in worship, let's fast forward, you know we talk about singing to the Lord, or making melodies in your heart, or it's unusual to think that it says not only to pray in the Spirit, but it says sing in the Spirit. Have you ever used praying in the Spirit and turned it into singing in the Spirit? You're beginning to set the atmosphere around you to be like what David did, where he was able to bring peace around to everyone else that's not only chaotic, but demonic, that he brought the atmosphere with him. But you know, so many times with worship, we see it, we have a worship service, it's uninspiring. You know, I'm sure John looks out and thinks, this is very, the people are uninspired. They're distant, they're weary, they're worn out, they're offbeat, they're off-key. <laughs> they're <laughs> like, <laughs> lackadaisical, they're unenthusiastic, non-motivated not ever having him on their mind. Like, have you ever been through a worship service and you never one time really thought about the Lord, but boy, your lips were singing the songs. And so not ever having him on our mind, not ever having our mind on him, it's self-conscious worship to God. Now, that's not a good way to describe worship. There's no power in that. That doesn't give you peace inside if it's a self-conscious worship and we're saying it's to God. And you have a reason. You can look at your bucket and have a bucket in your life. And you go, I wonder which reason I'm going to give why I don't have good worship. Uh, I'm going to reach down inside of it and what I'm going to pull out. I sound terrible when I sing. Reason one. Another one. Pull it out. I don't like these type of songs. Where are the words? I don't know the words. I can't clap in rhythm. You know, we had to laugh that there were always two people clapping exactly the same in the worship services. It was my dad and Pastor Martin. And they were always on the same beat. Now, it wasn't what anyone else was clapping on, but they had that half beat down. And so I would have a choice. Which one am I going to follow? So you can say, I can't clap in rhythm. Uh, No one else is lifting their hands. You know, I don't want to be known as that hand raiser. We all have this bucket of reasons why we don't give God our all in worship. And if you're not doing it publicly and you're not doing it privately, you're not giving God any worship where your spirit is blossoming out. So that's where I'm saying you don't want to have that where you have no peaceful environment because you don't know how to get in the presence of God where you can't bring yourself into a time where you and God have that intimate connection because you don't need to be finding that connection in the midst of a storm. You saw what the disciples did. They were screaming their heads off. They roused Jesus up, and he was angry with them. And he was like, look, guys, you're going to have to do better than this because Jesus took the peace he had, and he said, peace, peace, and the storm was quiet. So that's a look at what you're going to have to do when we live in a longer period of storm than we've ever lived and a more intense storm than we've ever gone through. That's the days that we're living in. So I'm inviting you in this environment, find your worship. Find that thing that where you reach out to God and that you connect with him. Now i want to see if you ever thought about this. I'm looking out saying, okay, what about us? What about us is worshiping? What do we look like? But have you ever thought about this? How about if you have your worshipers that don't want to worship? This was told by one of our worshipers once. We had a a set of them, three or four of them up here, and they would worship. I'll never forget this story. I wrote down what they had said. But when one of your worshipers doesn't want to worship, that's what I wanted to share with you what they had told me. You know, the church had emphasized this scripture so much that there were times when no one sang because of this verse. And I looked at her face that day, and I thought, she looked like she had something like on her or going through her. I couldn't figure out exactly what was happening. So one of our worshipers was thinking, well, I'm not going to worship today because her thoughts were, well, it would be just for show, or I'm just not going to sing, or I'm having a bad day. She was thinking about that verse in Isaiah. It says, "You worship me with your lips, but your heart is far from me." I think it's picked up in Matthew 16:7. And so, have you ever been condemned by a verse? She thought, "Because of that verse, I'm not going to worship. I'm having a bad day. I'm in a bad mood." I'll just be doing it for show, I'll just be making my lips go so I don't look different than everyone else, and so I'm not going to sing because my heart is far from the Lord. It's distracted, it's troubled. You don't think about your worshipers going through warfare. But that's what I was telling you, even your leadership has to learn to manage their feelings. You think I'm the only one that feels engulfed by my feelings, but it's everyone. So she decided something partway through. She decided, I'm going to push through it, and I'm going to worship by faith, and I'm going to do it by faith. You know, she made a decision to not be feelings-driven. Don't let your lack of feelings stop you. Do what you do by faith. Because even the enemy can take Scripture and tell you, see, you can't do it because your heart is far from him. You know, she was thinking, you know, let's just quit. No ministry today. We're all having a bad feelings day. It would be fake. Who knows what days we would have music and what days we'd have a teaching. You know, we tell that story where the mom goes in. She wakes up her son. She says, you have to go to church today, son. He goes, but mom, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to go down there and see those people. Son, get up. You've got to go to church. Mom, I don't want to go. Son, get up now. You're going to be late. You've got to go to church. Mom, I don't want to. Son, you're the pastor. You've got to get up. (laughs) That's when you have a wife that's both mom and wife (laughs) for those personal people. So sometimes you feel shut down. I bet if you talk to someone you look up to and admire, they'll tell you, I've had a fight with my feelings. I've had a fight with my internal peace. And sometimes you're just not in the mood. And this is very important that you learn to find that switch to get into your spirit. You are there to change how everyone else's mood is going, you're there to help them not fall apart. You know, I can be in the worst frame of mind, mood, but when I get into the word, after it's over with, all my problems start to shrink. So you're either magnifying your problems or you're magnifying the Word of God. You're magnifying the Lord. When you start magnifying Him, wow, after I've spoken the Word, I'm like, my problems don't seem near as bad. Yeah, I used to tell this, but nobody wants to hear it now, but I'd be running a temperature. I mean, I'd be like feeling terrible and it'd be late at night. So I can't tell this now on how people look at things. But anyway, I would just go, I'm going to go ahead and go to the state school because those kids look for me every week. And I would get there, and I would start speaking. And in two minutes, I was healed. There was no temperature. Once I got into the Word, I mean, the power of God came on me. And a lot of times, that stuff is just meant to stop you. So waiting to feel like worshiping, you'll never feel like it. I don't know if you're ever going to walk in and you're just, oh, the music's playing and you float in and you're just ready for the presence of God. A lot of times you're making your flesh obey your spirit. And so you preach yourself free. You worship till it lets you go out of the grip. You do it till your feelings get going in that direction. So you're either going to find yourself that you're worshiping by your feelings or you're worshiping by faith. And in the midst of that, with intentional purpose in your heart, your heart obeys what your lips are doing. Your heart is not far from God. That God is there. He said, this is not difficult for you. My word is not difficult. You can find where literally you get into the presence of God through his word, through worship, and you walk out of here a different person. Because literally, this is how you change what's going on inside of you. Now, sometimes you have a time where you get hurt in the church. Anybody ever got hurt by Christians? Offended? You know, I was having to work with people last night. Hurt in the church. And I got tickled. The the opening of their word from God was, forget everything in the past. And I was like, this person has got to forget everything that they've been through in the past and start over new with the Lord crushed by other Christians, where your feelings are ripped apart. Feelings can push you away from God. Sometimes uh, even something that's happened in the church can push you away. And I'm going to tell you this story, I'll never forget it, but we had one of our guys come in from out of town. And he had never been a crossliner, but used to he would come in for our mission trips. And, oh, was this guy a worshiper this guy could worship God so he was telling me about something that happened to him where he had a youth group and it was in a large church and after he got the youth group going really well everything was pouring in someone accused him of something being wrong with him and how he treated the youth. Now this guy was real easygoing; he was easy to get along with and so when he was in a ministry I mean, they had just taken him to task and they had brought in all the pastors and they were removing him from the group. And so I remember the girl that had brought him to our youth group decided, oh, we're going to go get Pastor Jimmy Lau. You know, he was dad's associate pastor. And we're going to get him to put him through some kind of a something to help him get over his discouragement. We were afraid he's going to fail on the mission field. I mean... He just was lower than a snake's belly. I mean, he was walking around. He felt terrible. He had gone through all this stuff that had happened to him, and all he could think of was how bad the church was, and here he was going to go on a a three-and-a-half-week mission trip to us, and he was not in good shape. So I looked at him, and I heard a lot of things that were said, and I felt really bad for him, and I thought, "Mm, I wonder how he's going to overcome that. You know, is this going to be a permanent scar on him in ministry where, you know, This happened to him, his church had turned on him and massacred him, you know, it made him quit. So the girl who had introduced him to us and and myself, I was listening to him, and I felt bad for him. You know, I was like, I hate it when people handle people pretty rough. And anyway, I was thinking, this is going to be, when he goes on this mission trip, all that's on his mind. Well, when we couldn't find anybody in town to minister to him right before we flew out, I went and got my dad. And my dad said, yeah, I'll meet with him. And so dad didn't know him. And, you know, I watched my father minister to him. Dad listened very intently to his whole story. And dad liked the guy. And he listened to all the details. And, you know, I just wonder. I thought, I wonder what my dad's going to say to him. You know, like, maybe someday I'm going to be facing these problems with kids and, you know, how to turn them around. And nothing I had said had made any kind of impression on him. I thought, I wonder what my dad could say. And so my dad, you could tell my dad was in pastor. He was in pastor mode and he was very, you know, like pastoral with him. Like you would have thought this guy was one of his that he had raised. So I thought, I'm going to watch dad and see what he does. And dad opened his mouth and he said to him, son, you're walking by your feelings. And he said, you're not walking by your faith. He says, you care what people think. And you're going to find out pretty soon in ministry whether you're doing this for God or man. And he said, you're never going to make it like that, son. He says, right now, he said, it's showing that you care more about what man thinks than God thinks. You haven't said one word to me about what God's spoken to you. He said, son, this is where the rubber meets the road. And this will separate the men from the boys. I looked at it. I was like, Wow. I wasn't expecting that to come out of my dad's mouth because the guy was in the throes of his emotion. And dad said, honestly, this is the point that you'll either make it or you won't. And that's what I was bringing to you is this is something that I found through the years that you have to learn to do or you won't make it in ministry. You won't have what it takes because somewhere, somewhere along the line, At some time, someone will do something to you. They'll say something to you. It'll get to the point where it happens daily to you. (laughs) And you have to learn to manage what I call the mush, the funk, the thing that gets on top of you. You know, when I looked at my dad, I realized how many times he had had to do it. This separates the men from the boys. I saw my young man suck up his chest a little bit. I saw strength coming into him. Dad goes, these are just feelings. Dad said, go back to your pastor, apologize, stand up. You tell your feelings to line up with God's word. He put down a good three and a half weeks. My dad was very pastoral, but he understood sheep, and he understood what it would take to be the type that can endure to the end. And if we go through tough times, I don't want you to ever forget, you're going to play like you're me, listening in, thinking, I wonder what my dad will say to him to encourage him. Because my dad was a huge encourager. I mean, he would encourage you. He was very compassionate. But he told him the thing that would help him the most. You know, you're going to have those times in your life where a thought hits you and sinks you. Or a thought gets stuck inside of you. And so the answer isn't being... I have no feelings, I am a robot, call me Mr. Spock. It's not how the Lord has it. He doesn't have you without feelings. You don't picture King David without feelings. But he used his feelings to go towards the Lord and not away from it. He didn't let his feelings separate him from the Lord. That's why they tell you, find your voice in the Psalms. He poured out his heart to the Lord. But at the end of the psalm, you would see him find the victory. You would see those little nuggets in the psalm where David would find it, and it would just come all over him. You know, Christians are not without feelings. They just don't walk by them. It's not that we don't enjoy our feelings. We like our feelings like everyone else. They're not evil in and of themselves. It's just the fact that we walk in a different realm. We let what's inside affect what's outside. We don't let outside circumstances change the way that we stay connected to the Lord. Without feelings, the danger. Have you ever gone through a time in your walk with the Lord where you went through a dry spell? Oh my goodness, you first come to the Lord and it is so exciting. And you're just so on top of things. Your feelings are a blessing. And then suddenly you hit dry spell. And you think, where's God? He's left. I don't know what I've done. And you go through this period of time where you think, this is horrible. If you read C.S. Lewis and Screwtape Letters, you know, I thought he makes the demons, you know, they have assignments where they go and seduce a young man that's just come to Christ. I thought they would use such, you know, red-hot temptations on the man. But it was funny. C.S. Lewis, for the most part, used dry spells. It was this. You know, and I thought, this might be the areas that most separate you from the Lord are dry spells. I have a guy right now that was with me on the mission field. He was on the radio very outstanding young man. I have pictures of him preaching in front of thousands of people over in the Philippines. He would periodically go through a dry spell and he would throw his faith out the window. And now he's an atheist. He's one of those on Facebook that is hitting the hardest against people witness to him. And this dry spell can talk you out of what you believe. There's a unique experience common to every follower of Jesus. And it's a tremendous spiritual letdown that we call dry spells. And sometimes they take you and you think you're plunging into spiritual darkness. You know, preachers and missionaries and evangelists will attest to this. And I want you to look at this first. Because I don't want you to fear a dry spell. The good thing about feelings... Let me say it this way first. The bad thing about feelings is that they're fickle. The good thing about feelings is they're fickle. So just as much as they can flip you off, they can turn back on. You can flip out of it in a second. You know, the children of Israel in Exodus 14, 16, look at this verse. You shall go across on dry land through the midst of the sea. Sometimes you're going to walk some dry land. Sometimes there's going to be water piled up on both sides of you. You need to be thankful for dry land when water's standing up, (laughs) straight up, and you're walking through. It doesn't say the children of Israel walked through the mud. It doesn't say that they were knee-deep, neck-deep in the slime. It said that God caused a wind to come through, and they walked across on dry land. Let me give you a better sentence. The children of Israel beat Pharaoh on dry land. Sometimes your greatest victories can come on dry soil. It doesn't affect you. You don't have to have all the feelings going on inside of you that make you have victory. Guess what? Satan lost on dry ground to Jesus. Talk about a glorious manifestation of God's power and supernatural. Sometimes dry land gives you what's solid to make it. It will give you that consistency in your walk with the Lord. I like it when I'm in worship and I hit the high where He explodes all the way through me and I feel the Spirit of God and my spirit yields to Him. But I'm consistent that I worship Him on dry land I pray in dry times, in dry weather, I still have that ability to get into his presence in the midst of of dryness. You know, Jesus, you think about him. What followed the next day for Jesus after the dry land of the crucifixion? It was a glorious resurrection. For Jesus had been in the desert when he first received the power of the Holy Spirit To come upon him and the dove came from on high and, and God's presence spoke, he immediately went to dry land. He immediately took himself to 40 days in the backside of a desert, in a wilderness. You know, where the children of Israel lost a lot of time was they wasted it in the wilderness. You've got to prevail on your camp out, you've got to do well in the wilderness. You know, Jesus in the wilderness, he defeated the enemy in the wilderness. And he was ready then when he defeated the enemy on the cross. He could do it both in the wilderness for 40 days, and with Gethsemane, he could defeat the enemy. You know, you have things that happen to you. I remember watching John Dugland, one of our college guys that was a leader. And I cannot tell you what he did to be able to minister in Thailand. I mean, he had to get shots and we were running backwards And I think it was Malaysia, or I can't remember where we were, and we were getting John the shots. And we were holding them, I mean, we were, John had me running in every single direction. And they said, if you get this shot, then you'll be able to go into Thailand with your passport because he's from the Caribbean. And so we got everything they said, We got on the plane. We flew to Thailand together. I mean, we were counting the miracles of what God had done to get John so he could help lead the team in Thailand. In Thailand, they were waiting for him and sent him back on the plane. You know, he was handing me the team money. (laughs) You know, you have different things that happen to you. And I looked at John and I thought, is he going to not believe now? I mean, he had enthusiasm. John was all excited, but I watched something come over John that scared me that day, and I thought, "This is where John's going to have to win the battle." So after me leading the team in Bangkok and all through Thailand, I flew back in, and John had been appointed the leader. And I had a lot of tough guys I was having to lead through. What we were doing in Thailand, we were in churches of all sorts that, but they had churches of of where they had gathered prostitutes, and they had all come to the Lord. It was some very unusual times that we minister in Thailand. But as we flew back into the Philippines, I came back in, and I took one look at John to see how his faith was. And he looked me square in the eyes, and he said, I started a revival while you were gone. And he came out of that, and he tore that plane apart, witnessing to people on the way home. He was going to make the enemy pay for stopping him. I looked at John and thought, he may make it. (laughs) He has that thing in him. He was disappointed. I thought he'd be all over the place asking me, why did God get him to that point? Then the bottom drop out. But sometimes you're having to overcome when it looks like it doesn't make any sense in your mind. This is where it encourages you to have each other. On a mission trip when the feelings are running out. You know, it's never your first trip to the Philippines that I have to watch your feelings or the dry spot. It's your fifth trip. It's when you've been going every year to the Philippines. It's when your feelings have run out, you're sick of the place. Let me just tell you about the Philippines. It's more of the same. The excitement is gone. Those times we don't feel God. It lets me know if you're ministering because you enjoy culture and adventure or if you really have that passion for the Lord. You know, Brother Jacob, he has experienced that time after time going back into India. There's places that God will send you that it's not the place of your flesh. It's not the place where your feelings are your most excitement. It's the place where you go because God has called you to preach the gospel to the darkest places on earth. Remember, you're taking what God has done inside of your life into where you're going. Just like that time where... All the parents were screaming, can't you find a place on this earth that's normal to take our college kids into? You know, I'm always in trouble. They have one professor here at Harry Payne that they call and tell on me when I choose certain mission fields. Or my dad would say, the Lord's saying for you to go in this one. And, you know, the parents are all wanting to pull their kids off the team. And that's when the Lord told me, you go and preach peace to them. Because it's the gospel that is your shoes of the prince of peace, that you carried the peace in there. Because when you look at Ephesians 6 and 17 and 18, it says you have shoes of the gospel of peace as you take it into a country. So you're taking peace to them. You're not looking for that place on the earth that has peace. You're going and bringing peace to them. And so faith will sometimes produce feelings, but feelings are not faith. Sometimes we think we have to feel that faith. If the average Christian doesn't feel the presence of the Lord, he doesn't believe he's really there. This all goes back to feelings. We know what he promised, that he would never leave us. He would never forsake us. But sometimes we don't feel his presence at all times. That's when you have to believe what he said. Lord, you've sworn to me, you will never forsake me. You will never leave me. That's the good thing is that feelings can do such a quick about-face. They can turn around on the edge of a dime. You know, Smith Wigglesworth had this great quote in his biography. Someone asked him, well Smith, you're getting older. How do you feel? How are you feeling? They said, do you wake up in the mornings with your strength or whatever? You know, how do you feel? And so anyway, Smith Wigglesworth goes, I never ask myself in the morning how I feel. I tell myself how to feel. And you'll learn that in the mornings is that you'll be a person who tells yourself how you feel and you don't ask yourself how you feel. We're in a culture of the world and the whole world asks themselves, how do you feel? They ask children, do you feel like going to school? Son, do you feel like going to church this morning? How do you feel, daughter? Do you not want to do this, to eat this, to be this? How do you feel about it? We have not taught our children to tell themselves how to feel. That you get the word of God and you tell yourself, this is how I'm going to feel about this. This is what God says about it, and I'm telling myself I will feel this way. You look at someone that's strong, and you think, oh, they're just that way by nature, that they just feel happen to feel that way about the lord they enjoy the rough spot of the mission field you don't realize no they've been telling themselves how they feel about it you know that's the point of a mission trip is that we try to break you (laughs) there will be something that breaks you (laughs) It will be the long hours of skits to the middle of the night. It will be the getting up the next morning. It's having your passports where everybody has copies. It's having yourself packed right. You've seen me go through it when they've all packed wrong, and I've sent them pictures of what it's supposed to look like. I tear it out. They have to start all over again. You've seen that chaos that takes place. That is your first mission trip. The second mission trip, you're helping the others be prepared. So in closing on this, you're going to have in life joy. Joy bubbles. Like it bubbles up out of your soul. And I'm going to tell you, most of the time, almost everything I do, almost all the time, I do what I do with joy. Because joy is something that God has put in you for ministry. You remember when King David blew it? Psalm 51, you remember his cry. He says, Lord, return to me the joy of my salvation. The enemy is out to steal your joy, and you must guard your joy. So if you ask me, am I real about it? Yes, I have joy almost every day. I am overwhelmingly joyful when I wake up in the morning because I have no idea what God's going to do that day. Like, I've been enjoying doing this thing with God where I have really hard things I have to do. And I tell the Lord, would you walk into it with me? I know he will, but I just like talking to him about it. I mean, I'm really scared, God. I have no idea what to say, and this seems really hard, and these people hate me. You know, Steph seems to impress on me. These people hate you, you know. You know, she goes, Lord, I thank you I have such favor. I thank you I have favor. <laughs> Angie, they really hate you. And so, anyway, I have to walk into it and say, I have joy I like taking old characters that don't like me, and they're going to like me before I'm through. I would have made a great slave. I mean, I always thought I would love to be a slave because I'd be eating at the master's table. I mean, I enjoy seeing if I can take people that don't like me to like me. So God put that in me. That's joy. But I'm telling you, there's an attack on joy because I've watched it. If you have a real enthusiastic person, the devil tries to beat it out of you. They try to, the devil tries to beat enthusiasm about the Lord out of you. So, but on the days that I don't, do I quit ministering? Do I witness by feelings? Oh, I mean, having a good hair day helps. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But when you witness, you witness because you enjoy talking to people and letting Them find out what most makes your life happy, successful, connected, loved. I'm letting them into my world. People need to know what's going on inside of me because they need it too. I appreciate people that shared it with me, and I'm going to share it with them. You know, freely I've received, freely I give. You know, the Lord delivered my mother, and for that I'm always indebted to the Lord that my family did not blow apart. So I'm committed to getting people free. And so your joy comes from the fact of what God has done in you. Joy. You know, in Matthew 13, 20, in the parable of the sower, it tells you your battlegrounds over joy. Because it says that some people put down roots very quick. They get into the walk and, oh, they've got joy about it. They can't believe this. They don't know who's been holding out on them all their life. Their church never taught them this. And they have quick joy and quick roots. But you've got to hold on to your joy because it says that the sun comes out and scorches it. And suddenly you don't feel joy anymore. You feel thirsty. You feel dried out. You feel like scorched. You know, it talks about it where you born the heat of the day. And you've got to hold on to your joy. It derails you, attacks your joy. You know, one of my college girls that's now married to one of my guys that's out on the mission field, he's launched. It's the wife. She told me this story. She said, I was very excited about God. I was number one in the youth group. And she said, in the youth group, I started dating a Christian guy. She said, I had the world by the tail. She said, I had joy in something besides the Lord, but I didn't know that since I was dating a Christian. And then suddenly something happened. I'll never forget her telling me this. She said, he cheated on me with my roommate. And I personally know she had an absent father situation. And it compounded it. And I wondered where she was all those years being wild in college. But she told me I didn't talk to God for three years after that. She said I was like a train that is derailed. You know, I had to bring her back into cross lines after college and nurse her back to health. And now she's full time on the mission field. But she says you've got to watch it. One of the most dangerous things to your joy is dating relationships. It's hard on the heart. C.S. Lewis says love is a risk. He says you can be like a tomb and never love and close down. But he says love will cause a lot of rough and tumbles. And most of the time, when I find a kid that's walked away from the Lord at your age, it has something to do with the relationship. You know, that's where you have to manage yourself of flipping your switch. Both the good and the bad emotions. I like the good ones so much better than the bad ones. The bad feelings. Some people like the bad feelings. But you know, Steph made a point to me last week after I spoke. She says sometimes you can be addicted to the great feelings. The good feelings. And you can become a slave to them. That it causes that you have... Joy in your flesh or joy in your soul, self joy. And she says, You can get into that feel so good or feel good feelings and get an addiction to good feelings. Because up till now, I've been talking about getting rid of fear or depression. But I was like, Woe is me by the time she's saying, Guard with the good feelings. Because sometimes you're addicted to a feeling. And so, your maturity or your immaturity is struggling when you put spiritual muscle on. That you live with your feelings on wide open, but maturity can harness them and throw them back in the caboose. Don't cut them off. But she said, acknowledge the fact that your feelings must be under your command, good or bad. So, in the mornings, you wake up and you pray and you say, Lord, thank you that I have the authority I need today for this day's problems. That there will not be a demonic attack so big on me today that I do not have the authority in the name of Jesus to overcome anything that's coming against me. And then Nehemiah 8.10, I command my joy to come back to me because the joy of the Lord is my strength. If I lost my peace, The Bible says I must guard my peace. I go seek God till it returns. There are times where I find myself and I have lost my peace. Sometimes you'll see me go in that room. I want my peace returned before I start making decisions or acting. If you're living this way where your peace is not in you and you're making decisions, it's a bad place if you're making them like this in anxiety. You're shaking. I guard that peace till I have it core peace in me and then I'm ready to start making those decisions again. I'm ready to start moving. Like I'll stop everything and I'll think something's wrong. Something's not right. Or somehow that attack got in because I've got to guard my peace. The joy of the Lord is my strength and if I lose my joy, I lose my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So, you're praying and you're getting the strength, that core, so you're not that yo-yo. You're like she was saying with the Apostle John, you could try killing him, burning him in oil. You could do all types of things to him. At the crucifixion, he's standing at the foot of the cross. He was willing to go where Jesus put his footsteps. So in summary, I tell myself how to fill in worship. You think about the girl whose boyfriend cheated with a roommate and don't waste three years. Don't let some boy change your mind about God. Don't let some girl break you so bad that you lose your relationship with the Lord. That you let it go. Don't break up with God the same way you got broke up with. Don't let human relationships in any place you're at break you mentally. Get your peace back. You know, the guy from out of town that got hurt and Dad told him, you're still ministering by your feelings. This is where the rubber meets the road. Always thought about that. The tire is on the road. This is that place where it really comes down to whether you've got it in you. And then you think about Smith Wigglesworth oh, I don't ask myself how I feel. I tell myself how I feel. And this would be what I'd leave you of saying, if you're not ready for this, of managing your feelings, you're really not ready for relationships or the responsibility of marriage, responsibility of ministry, until you're able to get the Lord's presence, stirred it well, enjoy the joy that He's given us, And be able to walk in that victory. Or you'll take everyone. You'll drive your train so crazy. You'll throw everybody off the tracks with you. (laughs) Amen.